Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Comics School. This is a special edition this week, and I am really, really excited. As you know, um, we keep it really, really nerdy around here. But this time, we're going, uh, I think the kids say, uh, call it extra, because here's why. Um, We have a special edition uh, special pop culture, giant, mega size, spectacular special edition um, with some uh, esteemed scholars from across the country. We got Portland. We got New York. We got your boy in Minnesota. So we are going coast to coast with this special edition. Uh, we're going to call this the AERA Spectacular. Um, this is our roundtable discussion. Um, about pop culture and scholarship and education research, um, but it uh, don't 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 hang up yet. Don't 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 leave. Don't leave because um, it's going to be a fantastic conversation full of elves. Uh, we may end up discussing whether wizards are indeed um, sorcerers. The sorcerer is a wizard with a hat or not. Um, ontological discussions. It's going to be fantastic. But I'll let everybody introduce themselves first. Um, how how should we do this? Uh, we'll go with um, oh, we'll go with Olu first, then Danny, Angela, and Jordan because that's how you appear on my Zoom. <laughs> and I'm very tired. So, <laughs> uh, if you could each introduce yourselves and uh, talk about uh, just maybe um, whatever I said this before, whatever honorifics you feel are appropriate, or well, let's keep it appropriate for the kids. <laughs> so, Olu, take it away. Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Olu Show and I'm Sean, but I go by Olu outside of my family home. I am a doc student at TC, Teachers College at Columbia. Um, honorifics. I don't know. <laughs> oh, Luke, that's the only honorific I go by. It's all the only um, one you need. Like, yeah, right? I feel that's like fine. that's enough. Right? Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is, is there anything else important that I should say? Um. We'll get to we'll get to the important stuff. I like the idea is like I all I need is Olu. Like I don't know what else y'all want. That's fine. I think that's perfectly appropriate. Um, Danny. Hi everyone. Uh, I'm Danny Friedrich. I'm an associate professor of curriculum at Teachers College, and I also direct the doctoral program. Uh, and I talked to Mike before in comic school, so second appearance. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, Doctor Danny Friedrich. Um. Go, go, go back. I feel like we need one of those little things, like in comics, like the little asterisk. It's like episode two. Do you know what I mean? Like the callback. Uh, so if you go back to like one of the early episodes, you'll find you'll find our conversation with Danny. So it's good to have you back, sir. Glad to be here. Angela, hi. Hey there. I'm Angela Malloy Murphy, um, lecturer in early childhood at University of Melbourne. And I teach right here from my basement in Portland, Oregon. 
and um, kind of a interdisciplinary or maybe anti-disciplinary scholar. It seems no two papers I write have much in common at all, except perhaps young children. And they're, and they're awesome. Don't, don't forget that. Uh, And then Jordan. Hi, I'm Jordan Corson. I'm an assistant professor at Stockton University in the School of Education, as well as an affiliate faculty member of Migration Studies and the Masters of Holocaust and Genocide Studies. And I, I will take up what others said and say, long intro to just say Jordan. <laughs> um, well, we just wanted to make sure that uh, everybody um, was, I could do an introduction on everybody because I really, um, I really appreciate all the stuff that y'all do. Um, so what we'll do is we'll do a round table um, and just a short, uh, maybe abstract type little, little nugget. Just give them a little, one of those, uh, give the, the audience a little uh, back in, back in, Back in my my yonder days, they were we had the Baskin Robbins, but now it might maybe it's Colson. I don't know if Baskin Robbins is still around. Uh, if you are and you want to sponsor the pod, uh, Baskin Robbins, you're more than welcome. Um, we we love it. Um, but give them a little taster spoon, right? A little Cold Stone uh, taster spoon of of um, maybe what you'll be talking about. Maybe some of the folks, maybe some of the good folks out here are going to be virtually ARA and they're going to swing by the. Uh, Swing by the round table. Maybe we're giving folks a, a, a little a little sneak peek. So um, let's do. Well, we can do the same. Um, I should introduce myself because I'm a nerd. Uh, hi, I'm still me, still Mike Dando, uh, assistant professor of English and uh, communication language arts, director of uh, that program at Saint Cloud State University in Saint Cloud, Minnesota, and uh, I study pop culture and education research. Um, critical literacy and democratic engagement and all that kind of fun stuff so um so we'll do the uh we'll do the the abstracts and then we'll and then we'll chop it up so we'll go in the maybe we can go in the in the same in the same order that we just introduced just so that we can keep it all keep it all straight and then we'll kind of open it up so Olu, if you could give us a just like uh the rundown of um of the the thing you'll be You'll be talking about an ARA and, and kind of just like the punchline, the big takeaway. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so, <laughs> for this. I was like, no, it's no pressure. It's no pressure. None at all. Um, yeah. So I will be, ta- my voice got really loud. Um, so I will be talking about Big Mouth and how we can use the show Big Mouth to reimagine and expand our notions of childhood by looking at the monsters reside in that world freaking great i love that uh, what a wonderful wonderful show um and i want to hear i immediately want to hear more about this um danny um what what's on what do we have on tap so jordan and i wrote a piece in which we examine two figures that are sort of godlike figures in pop culture one is dr manhattan from watchmen and the other one is janet from the good place and since both of them are beings that know everything, by definition, they know everything, we, we ask ourselves, what kind of education can we think of for beings that know everything? If the goal is not to learn something, if the goal is not to progress because they already know everything that has been, will be, and is, then what does it mean to think of their story arcs as ways of thinking education otherwise? 
And I'll just add that it's it's also a rethinking of who counts as educable. And the people who are typically seen as uneducable are at the bottom needing to learn all of the things. And we look how people who know all of the things are also considered uneducable and what possibilities come about from that. And I'll just add also that this comes about from a deep love of the show, uh, The Good Place, and our love of Watchmen comic, the series, not... Sorry, I'm not speaking for you, Danny, but not the movie. <laughs> Release the Snyder Cut! Wait, we did that. Wait, sorry, wrong. That's that's my fault. That's my fault. Should we all talk very slowly to honor the Snyder Cut? No, we should all move. Pass? No, no, no. We shall move very slowly. And then I will play your theme music once every 24 seconds. <sighs> no laughter. <laughs> no laughter. <laughs> Uh, Angela, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your um, what you'll be talking about or, or what you're looking at? Okay. Um, my paper is about calling in knowledges um, in the form of elves. Um, thinking about deities beyond the human as a decolonizing act, uh, inviting ways of knowing and doing that are other than white Western humanist lo- logics and how elves can allow us to be and do otherwise from that um, human-centric perspective. And um, the connections to education from there are obvious because Western white humanity is kind of the premise and the goal of education, which is limiting, colonizing, and violent, and um, how can elves problematize that for us? This, I am... I don't have enough time to, I want to hear about all of this for hours and hours and hours, um, which um, is wonderful. Uh, and I want, I want to talk about all this. Uh, my, my exploration uh, or my little piece is going to be looking at the ways in which um, education has been codified in the public sphere across comics in, in generation. So looking at th- uh, a couple of particular um, a couple of particular comics teachers, Professor X and Stick, and then I'm going to look at uh, um, Wakanda, Shur- uh, Shuri's, um, the, the Shuri title from Nettie Okorafor. Hi, Nettie. Um, what's that? The elephant's trunk. Yeah, the elephant's trunk. Mm. Uh, their, 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 commu- their educational community. And think about um, and look at how um, we've thought historically about what it means to teach and learn, what teaching and learning mean in those spaces, um, and uh, how to disrupt that cycle of um, mis- almost miseducation. So, uh, a lot of a lot of fun stuff to to unpack here. And you're hearing those, and and, and as you hear through throughout all of this, um, we take culture really seriously. I'm not going to say too seriously because I don't think there is such a thing. Um, and I've said that I've said that before uh, on here is um, we make sense. We read the world and the, the word and the world through these through these things, through these cultural artifacts. Right. Um, so 
and I'm just this will just kind of be an open forum. This will be a for real roundtable now. Thank you all for for sharing uh, for sharing that. And we're gonna put some um, we're gonna put some stuff in the show notes. Some some little treats, some little goodies, little little swag for y'all uh, in the in the show notes. Links to to work and 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 readings. If that that stuff sounded super interesting to you, as it does to me, I can't wait to to read these um, and and come up with more questions. But um. We'll open this up for the roundtable in terms of we all love popular culture, but we also see its 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 power and, and potential. Um, why do you? Why for you? Um, have have you kind of staked out your your trajectory in this way? Why? Why is pop culture? Maybe the question is: Is this why is pop culture, popular culture, significant in terms of um, the work that you do in terms of education research and thinking about thinking about teaching and learning? Right? There's so many. Uh, there's so many uh, special interest groups or SIGs, right? In all the places in all the world, you came into this one. You're at this roundtable. So why why pop culture for, for you all? And anybody can jump in. For me, one thing that is, 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 is important is to understand how much time our students and ourselves, we spend immersed in pop culture, right? How, how much pop culture shapes us and how much we shape pop culture. And I think I, I may have said this before to you, Mike, but... For me, it's fascinating that if you look at teacher education programs, right, you see a lot of courses about child psychology because we think that if we learn child psychology, we'll know who our students are. But we see no courses that are mandatory on pop culture. And so why is it that we think that psychology is going to give us some clues onto how our kids are, but really paying attention to the pop culture that our students live in tells us nothing. And so for me, that's, that's really one way of thinking about it. What, how, what is the role that pop culture is taking in shaping the subjectivities of students, teachers, ourselves, but also like in the past, like what is the pop culture shaped us in the past, the ways in which you see? And, and pop culture is something that is many things, right? It's deeply problematic in some ways. Yes, it's deeply effective in other ways. We can love something that is deeply problematic, and we can live with that those tensions. And, and those are really productive tensions and that I feel like our field has not paid enough attention to. So that's one of the things. And, and just I want to say one thing that sort of to frame also this table is that we're all in this table in part because of this call, right? Sort of that uh, Jordan, Deidre Holman, and myself, we created this, this call for people wanting to engage in pop culture and curriculum assemblages. And this led to a special issue that's coming out for, from Journalist Curriculum and Pedagogy and a book that is coming out and it is volume by Dio Press. And I think all of those we're seeing as a, as a, as a whole project that is just opening conversations. I think there's something, too, related to what Danny said about how central and yet marginalized pop culture is. That the only time it's spoken about in educational terms is, oh, little kids watch Sesame Street and there's educative value there. Or this kind of hidden curriculum, hegemonic product that is ruining the youth. And you know, I think what all five of us have, 
discusses the a deep love that has drawn us towards these parts of pop culture. And, and as Danny mentioned, there's something incredibly productive about engaging with them. We we learn from it. We're shaped by it. We shape it in our engagements with it. And I the way that I've always been told I engage with pop culture is when I can't do any more of the education stuff. I need a break from it. So go put on the TV, go recoup and get ready to, to do the education that you need a break. Rest your brain. Go watch Watchmen. Well, (laughs) uh, (laughs) right. (laughs) Um, Angela, wait, and you said, you you, I want to know more about elves, like immediately. There's this, there's this uh, John Mulaney gif that gif gif. I welcome your emails, um, where he's like, "Say more now." Um, so I'm really interested. Um, we talk about when I was thinking about education, right? And I'm thinking about, um, and and you said you're troubling and problematizing sort of particular worldviews. Um, so I have I have I have a couple of questions. Which elves, like Tolkien elves, uh, and I freaking love that I can ask this question and it's taken seriously. So which elves is, uh, are you are you talking about? And like, how are you thinking about? Because I think it's really fascinating. How are you thinking about it in terms of? Because um, uh, and, and Danny and Jordan take this up, and and Olu, I want to I, I want to talk to you about about scary monsters here here in a second um or maybe adorable but yet <laughs> gross monsters we'll talk about it in a second people are weird but but angela um can you talk a little bit about it for pop culture is how does it work in terms of that sort of ontological or, or maybe epistemological worldview like how does pop culture maybe in elves in particular how does that help kids learn to navigate their own worlds um you know maybe that question's a little inelegant um oh it's funny i'm I'm also thinking about classes of elves and it's a whole thing i'm like okay so is that a drought no (laughs) so um so you talk a little bit about um sort of how those worldviews come into play in terms of how you how you're thinking about elves and kids Sure. Well, the answer to your question kind of backs up to the answer to the pop culture question. First of all, um, children are actively becoming with the world around them in a Donna Haraway kind of sense. They're not just, you know, empty vessels soaking up media. We all know that. They're, they are um, generators and producers of culture just as much as they are consumers of culture. And so when they take in or I can't generalize about children and elves. I can talk about my group of (laughs) (laughs) We're taking a very Eurocentric um, popular image of elves that are almost always white um, or or always white as they had seen and and definitely always male. And they had questions about that and concerns and as they should. Um, and I was sent a package from a friend in Iceland that kind of verified their their thinking that um, elves are all little white creatures that they associated with. And they kind of took on the mantle of mm. these figures to challenge the adults around them about our lack of caring for some basic things. Um, in the paper, I talk about 
a dead bird in the road, um, the homeless encampments so close to the school. Um, these are things children have big concerns about in their common worlds and questions about, and they aren't getting the answers they want from adults. And so they generated these figures based on kind of an assemblage of um, what they were able to take in about magical creatures and um, made some speculative propositions about how we can improve, uh, not just as humans, but with the more than human, with the magical realm. That's such a powerful phrase for me that the, the students aren't getting what they need or want from these folks who are, you know, I'm thinking of that line in, um, I think it's the two towers. Well, it's definitely Tolkien. A wizard should know better, right? Like this idea of like, I'm, you're, you're supposed to kind of help me navigate this, but I'm still gonna, I'm, I'm still gonna make meaning out of it. But yeah, humanity has been a little disappointing lately. Okay. So can I just, this is a non sequitur, but I have a couple of kids. I have two kids and, 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 and those of you with kids uh, have seen Frozen. And the more I'm around, uh, there's, a, there's a song in Frozen that says reindeers are better than people. And that is maybe the most truest thing in a Disney movie, period. So take some time. Go listen to, um, I believe it's Jonathan Groff sing about reindeers being better than people. Um, I've been I've been coming back to that, um, <laughs> Angela, as you uh, as as you know, um, it's really that's really uh, that's really powerful. This idea of you mean the wis I mean, obviously, is like all oh, the wisdom of a child. It's like no, 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 that's not just a cute little thing to say. There's actually really, really profound and powerful things that 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 are at work and play here. Um, <laughs> oh, I just finished watching the newest season of uh, of Big Mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? Why? Okay. And I want to come back to Jordan's question, to Jordan's point about being uh, about why why this is seen as as still pos- pop culture is positioned as, as a little ancillary at best. But I mean. That's a smash. Big Mouth's a smash, a smash hit. It's that's leading edge. That's leading edge stuff. Um, but it is a cartoon. It, it is animated. Um, so how? Why did you gravitate toward that piece? Because my kids were like, "Oh, that can we watch that?" I was like, "You may not. Uh, you may <laughs> not watch that." Even when you're grown, please don't watch it with me in the room because that's just be weird. You're gonna feel weird. I'm gonna feel weird. Like we're not gonna be able to look at each other like for a day or two. But like, what about it for you? Um, what about it for you? Uh, drew you to it as a as a site um, as a site for for exploration about about kids and um, yeah. youth. Yeah. I think your response is part of it. <laughs> I mean, I teach sixth grade <laughs> right now. And like one of the biggest things, just like asking them, what are they watching? is just like how close our watching is. Like they're watching the same things I'm watching. I'm watching the same things yeah. they're watching. Yeah. And I can't tell if I'm just like a child or if they're just mature. Or if there's just some like kind of borderline that's just borderline that we're just living in together. 
Um, but I was why really not? Why not both? Right, right. <laughs> Um, but I was just like really intrigued by how many of them were watching it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was also like weirded out that we were watching the same thing and I knew what they were watching. But on top of that, I was really excited by the conversations that were happening on Big Mouth um, through the monsters, through the shame wizard. I think um, just like as a, as a teacher, as somebody who works with kids a lot, so often it's a given that children do not know enough, going back to like Angela said, that they are empty vessels that we pour into them and that they're not considering a lot of the things that are happening in this quote-unquote adult world. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And Big Mouth challenges that a lot, right? And they have conversations about consent, about sexuality, about gender, about what it means to just even grow up and like take up social media, right? And I, I really love the way they were having this conversation happen, but in a way that didn't feel alienating from the worlds of children right like you can take up these like imaginary non-human creatures and use them as a way to like follow through with this discourse right i wonder and i should also point out that my 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 children are elementary school age um <laughs> i think i i not not to not to say that uh, i would like never ever do that it's kind of sort of being goofy uh as is my prerogative as is my want, but this idea of, of students learning to navigate their real world through these fantastical means. Um, so I have two, I, I, I guess I have two, two for, sort of follow-ups. Um, at least in education research, do, do we, I know I have my, I have, I have opinions, um, but Given the given the state of things, is is pop culture still seen? Do you feel like it's still seen as as ancillary, or as as Jordan said, like go take a break, go watch go watch uh, Winter Soldier, Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, go turn your brain off for a while? Are we? Do we feel? I mean, because there, there are pop culture associations in there, it's not like. It's not like this isn't taken up in in spaces um, uh, in the academy, but I wonder, I wonder how you how we're feeling in terms of the ways in which we can or can't do and don't interact with pop culture in 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 our study, right? Um, you know, there's there's pushbacks like, oh, well. we'll for instance, comics. I do a lot of comics work, and comics are good for for teaching kids who don't hesitant reader, whatever that is. Uh, oh, it's good for teaching hesitant readers, or it's good for well, cartoons are are good for. I don't know, as Jordan said, if there's this explicitly educative purpose, like this is for learning, right? Shouts out to Sesame Street. Love Sesame Street. They're doing some amazing things right now, especially with regard to to um the pandemic and 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 race and gender and a whole bunch of amazing stuff so um i wonder how your what your experience has been or how you how you feel about pop culture uh how we're how we are and aren't taking up pop culture um in in so the field does that I have any- hypothesis that that Olu gave me a word for for sort of Olu was talking about shame wizards and it would be really interesting to think about what are the shame wizards of academia, right? What are the things we're embarrassed about and that we are ashamed of? And I think one of the things we're embarrassed about is to to bring joy 
into our work. I think when we're com- when we're worried so much about justice, our work is supposed to be tough. It's supposed to be harrowing. It's supposed to be serious. It's supposed to be engaged. It's supposed to be challenging. But if you're doing something joyful, then there's something that we should be sort of embarrassed about because we're not engaging the serious issues. So I think that's the, our shame wizard, right? So that's, that's the thing, like, if you're enjoying it too much, then maybe you're not really looking seriously at, at the terrible state of mm. the world. And I think mm. that there's something about that, about, like, the ways in which even, that's what Jordan was talking about, like, when pop culture is looked at, it's looked at usually, crit- like, purely critical from a detached perspective that brings no joy to it. But I think what brings us all together, and, and, and that was one of the things that Jordan, Deidre, and I were really aware of, is that we wanted people to engage in these pop culture texts or with this, this culture through love and joy. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean non-critical, right? You can mm-hmm. have critical love, you can have critical joy. But, but, but to not miss the joy, which I think it is one of the things we tend to be embarrassed about in academia. Yeah, and um, we forget that where learning or education is really happening often for people is at the margins of society, you know, um, as you've talked about in other shows, in comics, in animated specials, kind of under the radar of conventional education or conventional any kind of conventional learning. That's where the sugar is, and certainly during the pandemic, that's where we see excitement happening for children between the lines. They're on their Zoom calls with their video off, and then they've, their real education is happening with their friends over Snapchat, with the video games that they're playing. I'm a little bit out of touch, but I know from my 15-year-old and my 19-year-old, it's not happening on the Zoom screen. It's not happening in sanctioned spaces at all. Uh, Mike, are we allowed to... Yeah. Okay. Um, you're 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 allowed to do anything that's legal. That's my legal disclaimer. Anything well, that's legal is okay by me. <laughs> I'm in Philadelphia, so that's a broad broad category. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what. We'll allow it. That's, that's, <laughs> um, I, I don't want to interrupt your role as facilitator host, but um, what what Angela is saying brings up a really interesting tension and question for me that something that I love about pop culture is the way that it's in, in some ways intellectually marginalized. And yet does a project like this seek to legitimate it? Are we trying to bring it to some kind of center? Because, you know, I loved so many of the works and I think all those in particular, I, finish your thing and put big mouth on the top of my queue. Right. It's like, so I now want to engage with that show and I thought it would be funny and I love Nick Kroll, but now I have a, a more serious and intellectually curious purpose in, in watching it. So is the goal to, I don't want to just make it as simple as do we want to take something on the margins and bring it to the center? But, and and I don't know, although I don't, I'll let, I don't want to speak for you, but that's the nicest thing that anyone could say to me is, I read your stuff, and then it changed my perspective on the thing. So, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I am trying to uh, not gush at the moment. I'm trying to hold it in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love all of the pieces here. Is like just knowing the specificity of, of that piece. I thought, yeah, I wanted to watch that. You know, I, I like, I didn't grow up in a, in like a fancy Westchester suburb, but I grew up in like, as a white dude, Jewish guy, like somewhat similar to Nick Kroll. And it's like, hey, I want to see that, but it was more like funny one-off jokes. And now I have this desire to see basically what you were talking about. Uh, I, 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 I want to follow up, and I, I guess I can ask this question because, uh, and if you go back to pre- on previously on comic school, one of the things that 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 Danny said that uh, that still resonates with me, and um, and I was reading, um, Trudy's Baldwin, and and, and Jay's Baldwin says, you know, I love America more than any country in the world, which is why I reserve my the right to critique it perpetually, perpetually, right? It's just like, we can critique the things we love. We still love them. Right. Um, and we have a deep affection and, and, and but we know we can, we know that there, there's room to grow. Um, one of the, one of the things that I'd like to ask is, is, and I don't want to sound too, too sort of precious about this, but um how is maybe how is joy is pleasure a, a a radical thing in 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 the work and and how does your how does your work engage joy i really that's a what a great day that's a that's a great word for it um and what do we do with the shame wizards um i mean that you know we're talking about gatekeepers but shame with like that's it, right? What, do, what, what if anything? Because Jordan, I think you bring up a, a, a really interesting thing is it's not trying to get, maybe it's not trying to get something legitimated. It's finding the joy that's, that, that is inherent, right? So it's not like, well, we're going to take this thing and over, not, uh, we're, we're going to make sure it's serious enough before we legitimize it. It's, it's already serious. It's also joyful and wonderful, because that's what learning should be. So what learning is, Angela, is what you were saying, is kids will seek out the, they'll seek out the joy. They'll seek out the joy with each other in sharing these kind these experiences, right? The share, did you see this, these inside jokes, um, the, uh, the one-liners from the recent episode or, or, or what have you. So how does, how does your, work take up that sort of radical or uh anti anti shame wizard work there's got to be a better phrase but i'm gonna i'm gonna lean into it <laughs> one thing i love about angela's piece if you allow me angela is that <laughs> this is the best round table sorry go ahead <laughs> is that angela is not trying to teach kids She's listening, I mean, and, and or, or paying attention. And I think that is part of like sort of, part of the shame wizard is the feeling that we need to give, we need to be the ones that know we need to have the lessons. And we and, 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 and being the one that knows and have the lessons is usually not the ones that enjoy, it's the ones that sort of give. And I think, I, I love that about Angela's piece, that it's, it, it's, it's so clear 
that she's just there to pay attention to what's already happening. She's not the one bringing the joy, bringing the knowledge, or bringing that. She's just, if, if maybe I, under, I hope I understood it correctly because <laughs> I'm not in trouble. Uh, but that's one thing I love about her piece. It's, it's, it's that res- deep, deep, deep respect for, for the children. Mm-hmm. Well, and ultimately for like the pulse of life. So I worked with children for over 20 years and then just um, finished my doctoral program, wrote my dissertation, and I'm starting to work in tertiary education, as they call it in Australia. And it's I have lived a life of joy with children who follow joy for too long to just cut that off for some sort of achievement. It's too late in life for me to do that. So I'm just going to kind of follow what brings me joy and hope that legitimacy and employment will continue to follow me. Those things are important too. They're real. Um, and they're a privilege that I hold dear to, especially in this pandemic time. But that's what, that is what children do. And the paper talks a bit about shimmer as like the brilliance of life um, that we're drawn to. And, um, why not follow it and just see what happens? I think that could be like a thesis for education. Mm-hmm. I want to go to, I want to go to there. <laughs> like, can I respect for the pulse of life? Holy, holy buckets, right? What would happen in education if that were the, if that were the, the, the North star? Right? What would, how can we fundamentally, if we had, I, I love that you're a, just kind of resigned to joy, right? Like, I love you're like, it's too late. I'm sorry. I can't not be joyful. Maybe you want to, maybe you want to take it, but I, sorry. I love that. Um, and how that can be transformative for each, for, for across, across the board, that joy, and respect and honoring not only students, but the power and potential of, we're talking about art in a lot of ways. Um, Respect and love and joy, if those were the motivating factors. I mean, as Angela, as you said, groceries are essential. We, 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 we got, you got to eat, but not sacrificing the the important stuff not sacrificing and not being willing to or able to i love the idea of just like it's too late i'm too i'm not gonna not be i'm not going to not love it sorry um um Mike, and sorry if i can say also yeah your, jump in no yeah yeah yeah. i mean your piece is also could not stem from a place of no, no joy, right? I mean, the way you write about Professor X, so you have a really critical understanding of the role of Professor X as a wealthy white man uh, teaching those who are different. But that piece could not have written without that tension of, of understanding him as a critical figure, but also having grown up on that critical figure, right? I think that, that, that your piece also connects with Joy, like joy as justice, like joy as as these this different ways of, of understanding that we live in these tensions all the time, 
but we cannot just push it down. We cannot just say, I'm here just for the critique without the love, because there's, there's nothing left, right? And I think, I mean, you, you do this work too in, in other spaces where this is part of what many hip-hop educators are doing, which is that, connect, that pulse of life that Angela was talking about, that's a respect to what's already happening without you having to be there for it to happen. It's, right. it's what, what the work is about. Oh, shucks. I'm glad that that comes through because I do, I think it's important and, and I want to reiterate, and I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I think it's a safe bet to say that we all love the, these things because they speak to and they reveal in some ways the, the humanity that we all share, right? That there's, you know, when you see these, when you see kids, um, reacting certain ways or thinking in certain ways and being in certain ways and making sense and, and, and grappling with things. There is a, there is a joy there. There is a, there's a significance, right? And there's lots of work to do, but there's a, there's a joy in um, learning to see differently. Right. And, and, and be, be present to, these situations. Um, I love the idea and I want to, I don't, I, I, I refuse to not talk about Janet, good Janet and bad Janet. That's I, I think that the podcast will be canceled. Um, if I don't talk at least about Janet and, and Dr. Manhattan and the idea of what does, what does Janet is not the same thing at the end of the series. She's not the same. I will say person. I don't know how you've, I don't know how you've, made sense of of that character um but i do want to not a girl and not a robot 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 he's not a girl and not a robot (laughs) so i I want to talk about this idea of you know we're talking a lot about learning who we are through these things and through these conversations that we have with we hear our students having we have you know olu is talking about like i know what they're talking about they know what i'm talking about and there's this there's this humanizing interaction that we have. Um, how are you making, how are Danny, how are you and Jordan thinking about how to teach, how to teach the un, not the unteachable, um, the, what is the uneducable? Like there's nothing, I know all the things. Um, how, how have you made sense of that in, in your education work? So part of the thing we talk about is how both Janet and Dr. Manhattan can only begin to learn when they connect with others and when they connect with others that are both human and non-human, right? Sort of Janet's connection to the good place as a place. She can only start to change and, 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 and have other relations when she started her relationship with, with Jason, but also with the good place as a place. And, and in fact, Spoiler alert, right? But the show ends with her letting Jason go and staying in the good place because the good place doesn't exist without her. And so her connection to to her surroundings and to that has to do not with knowledge. It's it's not about progress. It's not about knowing. It's not about that kind of learning that we are used to, but it's something else. Um, Jordan? I was trying to say, let's not... He said, "Spoiler alert!" Yeah, spoiler, and you can very, call, people got to be quick on the pause button. Yeah, okay? you got to be right alert. there. Okay, uh, 
You guys yeah. say la 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 and run at the podcast. Okay, so we're good. Yeah, that was my deep insight. Is <laughs> go, go, go in. I mean, I guess for Angelus, I'd say engage with the piece because you're not referencing mm. a specific text necessarily, but engage with the piece. And for Mike's and all those and ours, watch the shows, read the comics. Um, but I guess we did a spoiler. Uh, I. I, I would add that there's there is I think we use the term learning and there's this great divergence between Dr. Manhattan and Janet, but that there's this learning about something that is already known. Again, spoiler alert, but we talk a lot about the scene where Dr. Manhattan says, This is the moment that I fall in love with you. And it's when he exists across all time and space. So he already knows the outcome of the events that are about to happen. But when he sees and he's told Angela, his complicated scenario, but his wife, what will happen? He knows the outcome of the events and he tells her as a fact, this is what will happen. And yet she does something to try to resist it anyway. And he knows that will happen. And yet learn something through not new knowledge, but uh, I forget what term we use, but a kind of a realization of coming to be that he loves her. I think that's really to, to everybody's point, but I think it's so important is um, I love that phrase learning about the already known, right? Um, Just because, right. You could take that so many different ways. Like it's like, well, there's always something new to learn. Like, oh, we, this is pretty well established. Yeah, but there's always something more to know. Um, but I also like this idea of disrupting this maybe popular understanding of schooling, at least, as the accumulation of, as like trying to become Janet's, like know all the things, or trying to become Dr. Manhattan, who's like, I through all of my reading, no 10 steps ahead. You know what I mean? Like it becomes this very technocratic type thing. It becomes a very instrumental thing. Um, you know, I'm thinking about testing. I'm thinking about, um, you know, neoliberal edu- issues in education, but I love the idea that the learning begins through a step. The, the learning begins to matter through the establishment of a connection with each other. Like Dr. Manhattan's big flaw, at least in the comics, spoiler alert, is, um, yes, a giant squid, but his detach, his, his complete detachment from humanity, which becomes so poignant in the show, right? For at least it was for me, this, the, you know, the idea that is like, oh, he's, you know, we see, we see, and we're not talking about the movie but I will talk about the comics. <laughs> but like with Laurie, he's completely disconnected because he has a different understanding of time and space, but that's, that hits different as the kids. I feel weird saying things like that when I going, I'm going grayer and grayer, but it does, it hits different um, with Angela. Right. Um, for a variety of ways. And, and I think that's really, really important. And, and, and I think that's true for, you know, Olu, uh, talking about big mouth this is right this this notion of yeah puberty hits 
it's a mess. It's been a mess always. Here's what it looks like now. Here's how we connect with the now. Um, Cause I see the connection with humanity in, in big mouth too. Is that, is that fair? Do you think that there's a, a connection with humanness in how we learn in, in big mouth? Yeah. It was um, something that I was actually thinking about with an earlier question um, I guess another spoiler alert when the kids encounter the shame wizard we're just ruining it for everybody sorry no. y'all okay, no. <laughs> so community is really important for like the this plot line of the shame wizard right and so I was thinking a lot about what it means to learn in community as you were all talking and um, I think that it, it that the community humanizes the learning right that allows us to like grow and be and I'm thinking about that as a grad student now and what it means to like find my people this early on in my career and find people who are like engaging in this work and how that also humanizes <laughs> me as a grad student allows me to like play <laughs> while working well there's, i mean that's so interesting right is the work the work needs to stay grounded in humanness in hum in 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 in, in humanity right um, because it can be so dehumanizing. Um, and I'm just thinking in, in terms of just the number, for instance, the number of committees I'm on and all of the things I have to do where it's just a grind, right? Where we can re, we can in some ways meaningfully, meaningfully find, as, as you said, find our people who bring, who, who, who re-energize, who re, re, restore some of that, um, some of that some of that joy. Um, Angela, ha- have, how have you found the connection with each other p- important for your, for your work? Well, I'm listening to you all. And as a post-humanist, I, post-humanism has contaminated me. It's on me. It's just in my bones now. And so when I hear you all talk, I am thinking about The Good Place and Watchmen and Big mouth. I, I, I hear relationality. I think sometimes we use the word humanity when we mean relationality. Mm. Mm. So relations sometimes between humans, mm. as in big mouth. Sometimes it's between um, a child and their um, hormone monster. Um, the best sentence I've heard today. But <laughs> please go on. <laughs> but that's really relationality is at the heart of posthumanism, and it just all that is saying is that it's not always about human relations. It's sometimes about these more than human relations Mm. and implicit in that conversation is what does it mean to be human or fully human and who is Mm. relegated to less than human status and who is afforded not only humanity, but the potential of becoming with the more than human and um, children are one class. I think that are seen in dominant Western discourses as not having achieved fully human status. So I see children as marginalized in mm-hmm. much the same way that racial groups can be. And that's why I think it's interesting putting children in conversation with all of this. I think all of our pieces share the idea, I mean, share this, this fascination with the ways in which we, we imagined that which is more than other than beyond human, right? Sort of, all our pieces engage with that as a way to think about human, non-human relations. Um, so I agree with Angela. I think post-humanism really sort of seeps into our work yeah. 
some more than others, but, but, it, but in general, it's a really, again, productive way of thinking otherwise and, and education otherwise, education that is not only about fulfilling the promise of the human, because that promise, I mean, it, it's always, we always go back to the Western modern idea of man, right? And so by, by thinking of how we have imagined, understanding that those images are still coming from the human, right? Sort of Dr. Manhattan and Janet are both creations that, that are cre- cre- I mean, creations from humans, but of ways of thinking, of trying to think ourselves outside ourselves. So it's, it's, it's about imagination, it's about play, it's about relations to human and non-human as other ways of considering what counts as education. Which is, a, I think, a really interesting connection to the Angelus piece that Danny and I have spoken a lot about how these more than other than non-human characters come from the minds of the thoughts of, of humans. But where you're talking about Angelus, a group of people engaging with other than human and with elves, and simultaneously they're a group that's considered I don't know how you phrase it, but not yet fully human, potentiality of human, but they're not considered part of the humanist central category that it gets taken up. And I think children a lot of times have not yet been kind of socialized or trained to focus on the human. And so when they go to um, a nature reserve where extinction is happening and life is happening and they're feeling the pulse of life and the mm. loss of life, mm. And um, the the closest they can get to put their finger on it is this idea of nature spirits. Mm. And Mm. so what they're doing is kind of making propositions that have implications for human and non-human worlds, huge implications. And by relegating it to fantasy, that is kind of a way for us to avoid responsibility for the things that they might be implying. (laughs) (laughs) sad trombone um (laughs) i have two i have i have a couple of other questions i think are are that have kind of sprung up from this um i absolutely think that 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 relationality part is 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 really really important um because relationships with relationships are are so often decoupled or at least they attempted to to be decoupled from learning, or at least knowledge generation. Right? It's just like read this book and keep your head down and no talking. Whereas, like, it's like why is that kid not staying still? Why is he making up things? Because that's what he's supposed to do. Um, and I love the idea of imagination. So. All of this stuff we've talked about, this wildly imaginative stuff. How important for you is imagination in terms of um, what you study? How I'll ask the question very simply. For you, how important is imagination to learning? Because that's what we're talking. We're talking about a blue dude with no pants living on the moon. That's pretty imaginative. We're talking about, okay, here's the deal. Uh, they're hormone monsters. Pretty imaginative, right? Like, my work is like, all right, so this guy, right, moves up with his mind. He hangs out with a bunch of people in a mansion. And they fight a guy who can be- do stuff with metal. Right, right? Like, and it was like, 
and there are elves, there are forest spirits. That's so it seems like imagination is really central to, to sort of what we're talking about and the, maybe the joy of imagination, the pleasure of imagination. And maybe I'm just wanting that to be true. So <laughs> is that true for you all? Is, is imagination Im- important? And if so, how? I think only insofar as we can measure it, test it, and codify it. All right, good talk, everybody. Anyway, that's that's that'll, that'll... <laughs> I think we need to measure how many learning losses we have and how much imagination we have on a. Does anybody know how to boot people from a Zoom? <laughs> yeah. Trying to figure out what's the. I'll just I'll just turn around. <laughs> You'll hear my shame on the podcast. <laughs> What did she say, Angela? I almost made the noise again. I think for those of you who are who are just listening, uh, I don't think I'm going to go ahead and say I don't think I think that's sarcasm. Um, that's a, a combination of sarcasm and discomfort and silence coming together. Fair enough. Um, I don't know. Is is that true? Is imagination? Is the imaginative essential in in meaningful learning? I mean, is, is engaging the imagination? Oh my gosh, hell yes! Because <laughs> I don't know so much. Now we have to put now we have to put the explicit sticker on. I'm kidding. Go ahead. I can't say so much for learning, but I can say for education that we need to be able to imagine things otherwise than they are mm. what they've always been. And they're just on a loop repeating forever. And all we can do is fit into the puzzle and march through life. Like we have to imagine things otherwise. And if education is a production um, instead of just a cycle of repetition, then imagination is key to that. And I would say that, that so we were writing with, uh, the introduction to, to this right, this work. And one of the things that we talk about is how imagination is also always a surplus to analysis, right? Sort of, there's always something that doesn't fit within the, the framework of analysis. There's, also, there's always something that doesn't, that you cannot capture, right? And that you shouldn't try to. That's part of it. That you shouldn't try to, like, put it in the box of the analysis because that's the whole point of imagination, right? So we can play with it, we can listen to it, we can we can explore it and all that, but the point is not to to put imagination on an academic paper. I mean, it's to play with it, but not to, to chain it to an academic paper. It doesn't work like that. Even if we tried. But it shouldn't even be the mission. My face hurts from smiling so much. Like, this is, like, life-giving. I love the idea of defiant imagination. Like, you put me in a box? You can't do that. That's not how that works. What box? Um, Olu, what do you think? Is, is imagine, like, how have you seen imagination important in, in the work that you've taken up or, you know, as a teacher? Yeah, I mean, I think imagination, like all I've said before, is key. One of the things that I, I'm trying to think through right now as I was listening is, um, in my head, my default is that imagination is, is in- inclusive, right? That it is wide-ranging, that it encompasses all. But, I mean, there have definitely been moments in the classroom and just in regular life where I've seen imagination be quite limited, right? And mm. so mm. what does that mean in having these conversations? Like, what... What what do we what imaginations 
are we imagining as we even like begin to talk about this? Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, that makes me think about imagination grounded in the world or worlding or common worlding means rather than a imaginary that's kind of disconnected and objective and floating above our reality that like the children's imaginations in um, my paper, and I never quite use that word, is uh, envisioning possibilities that are otherwise with the world they see right in front of them, which is an inclusive world. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, do you have a mic that you can drop right there? Because, like, I mean, that that sort of uh, encapsulates all this this kind of, like, what what we're all sort of working towards is is what does a better how do we imagine otherwise how do we imagine a better tomorrow and how is you know Olu, as you're talking about how is that constrained how is that broadened how is that espoused how is that in some ways trampled i think um in in these educative spaces, you know, both formal and, and maybe informal as well, um, by saying like, well, that's not real learning or, oh, that's just a, that's just a cartoon. That's just, you know, <laughs> that guy's, that guy's flying. That doesn't count. Right. And I think that's in order to, to, to be, to sustain ourselves, I think that it's important to have these conversations. I really, really, um, I really, really appreciate the work that, that, that you all are doing. I have other questions, but, um, we're, we're coming up on, we're coming up on time. Um, and so, um, we'll, we'll do two things. Anything that you've read recently or seen recently that you think people must see, these are the recommendations. And then, um, you can share your you can share your shareables if you've got Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. Oh, I no no oh, I do not have a TikTok <laughs> because I'm I'm that's I it's illegal. I should not be allowed to dance uh, on TikTok or in public. So, uh, Ola, we'll start with you. You got any recs for us? And you got any shareables? Uh, I mean, I'm currently watching all of like Star Trek right now, so do that. You start with <laughs> the old. Great. You start with the old stuff. You, you like going yeah, back, yeah, back, yeah. Back, back, I'm back, back. I'm now on Deep Space Nine and Voyager concurrently. So <laughs> I was thinking going back to see. you like, I'm going back, back to to when you were to when you were in college. Like, oh, okay, well, yeah. And then yeah. I turned into Endgame <laughs> dust and blew away. Um, <laughs> Team Cisco all the way. Um, and if, uh, you got any, you got any pluggables, you got any, uh, you got, you got any shareables, Twitters or anything like that? I'm not cool enough yet. <laughs> That's all right. Oh no. Uh, Danny, you got any, you got, you got any, any recs and any shareables? Well, I'm always into comics, right? So of course. Um, so I have two that I'm really obsessed with. One is the new Nightwing uh, that just came out 
with Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo, which also made me think of their Suicide Squad run, which was amazing. It's not a series I tend to read much, but their run, which is a different team, but their art and their writing is amazing. Um, so anything by Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. And then uh, the other history of the DC Universe, that I, I, the new one is coming next, next week, and we need to do another podcast around that. Because it's awesome. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, go ahead. And my Twitter is at Prof Friedrich. Yes, yes. Angela, um, Rex and Rex and Shareables. Okay. Um, this is a pretty geeky wreck here, but I just. You're in the right space. <laughs> my mind was blown. I was reading it all day. A billion black anthropocenes are none. And I'm recommending it because of the talk we're having that if we think at all about environmental humanities or sustainability, it's kind of like who sustaining what and for who conserving what and for who, whose future, like who is this mm. future that we're imagining in environmental humanities, it's been vastly white. And um, that is what the book is about, among other things. You've read it too, Olu? It's been recommended. It's on my list. Yeah, awesome. And um, my Twitter handle is at 23Angelus. Jordan, you got any recs or any, yeah. any shareables? Yeah, you made me go last, so I had to run through 75 <laughs> things. Um, keep, keeping in the vein of a kind of post-humanist conversation, um, I just read to, we didn't really talk much about books, um, uh, I just finished Overstory, which is a book I was seeing on the subway every day for two years. But, uh, you know, a 650-page book about trees that is so powerful and profound. Um, and I'm now reading the new Ishiguro, um, Claire and the Sun, which is uh, anything he writes is blowing my mind. Um, and I had, I'll just say, a, t- a TV show that everyone should always watch. We're off of just to show I'm loving, is uh, How To With John Wilson. Has anyone seen this? It's a great show. Oh, my God. It is. I won't say anything. Just watch it. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I, um, I had a, my Twitter is at Jordan Corson one. And we'll, and we'll put all of these. Um, we'll put all of these in the show notes. I'm reading Abbott right now. Abbott 1973. Um which is what would happen if Pam Greer was uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker. Uh, it is fantastic. It's from Boom Studios. It's absolutely fantastic. Saladin uh, Ahmed, who also did um, um, uh, Miss Marvel. Uh, it, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. It's a sequel to follow-up to the amazing uh, Abbott. Um, and that's, that's what I'm reading. And then, of course, if you haven't read, um, if you haven't read Far Sector or Bitterroot, uh, those are two of my all-time all-time current favorites. If you can have an all-time current favorite, like you know, it's like these are classic runs. It's like you feel like you're reading. You're like, I know for a fact that people are going to be reading these forever. And by the way, if you haven't read Truth, Red, White, and Black, do that. Um, find that on your find that on your comics uh, uh, reading app or what have you uh, by Kyle Baker. Um, and Robert Morales. Those are the comics that I've just recently have read. My uh, Twitter is at mbdando. Um, and so you follow me. Thank you all for like taking time out to to come and geek out 
um, on this podcast. We're just so thrilled. I'm so thrilled to be in conversation with you all. And um, I know everybody is just going to be furiously taking notes as, um, as they're just getting these gems. So appreciate you all. Um, and we will, we will see you out there. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. That was so fun.